Well, as I said last week, we, we're kind of coming back to the basics in a lot of ways. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 3. If you weren't with us, you can, you can find that sermon online or just read Genesis chapter 3 and be reminded of the fall and yet the hope that comes from that and how God calls us to bring our vulnerability back to him. Today, our readings are from the first section of parables in the gospel of Mark. Um, Mark doesn't use a lot of parables, but he uses a few, and he begins to talk about Jesus's teaching ministry with the use of parables. Parables was not something that Jesus invented. We know that there are parables in the Old Testament. There are parables that were being uh, told among the rabbis of the first and second century, but Jesus perfects parables. He uses them to the, the nth degree. He has over 60 parables in all the Gospels, some of which are repeated from Gospel to Gospel, from from Matthew to Mark or Luke or John. These parables that we're talking about this morning are interesting because they only only appear here in the Gospel of Mark, and they appear right at the beginning. Uh, There's a very famous parable that Jesus begins this chapter with, which is about the the types of soil, the, the rocky soil, the path, the, the weedy soil, and of course, the, the, the rich, deep soil that produces a vast harvest. And of course, we want to be that good soil. We want to be open, good soil for the Spirit of God to work in us. Jesus uses parables to, he uses something that's very ordinary in order to describe something that's very complex. You might think, well, if, if God the Son was to come to earth, he is going to reveal celestial mysteries with, with fanciful tales of, of, of things beyond our imagination. And Jesus begins, the kingdom of God is like a seed. And in that moment, he uses things that are very, very common and ordinary to explain things that are mysterious and hard to understand In so doing, I believe Jesus is reminding us of the importance of the everydayness. Remember that play, uh, Our Town? I remember that was, we had to read it in school when I was in school 150 years ago. And and I remember the whole plot of of the play was that it's like the girl wanted, she was, she had died and, you know, don't get into all that, but she wanted to relive a day, but she didn't want to relive a special occasion. She wanted to relive an ordinary day. It was like a day before a big day event. And it's that, that, that recognition that, that we miss the essence of life when we miss the ordinariness, the, the, the going to work, the, the caring for our family, the, the moving furniture for our wives so that she can redecorate the house in a beautiful way. All the multitude of small, ordinary tasks we do that make up a vast majority of our life. Jesus draws upon those activities for first century Jewish people when he tells these parables and they're they're all grounded in farming and in seed and in soil and and the like because he wants to ground our understanding of the kingdom in the ordinariness of the day. George Broadman, you may not know that name, he's an he's an old biblical scholar from a previous generation, but he's defined the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God is human hearts God reigning in human hearts through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, 
God begins to speak about the kingdom, his kingdom coming in the world, even in the Old Testament. But, but that all gets fulfilled in the person of Jesus, right? And Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches about the kingdom, but in fact, he is also the kingdom. It's through Jesus Christ that human hearts can come to allow God to reign in them and begin to allow God to do his work bringing the kingdom. The kingdom is a process. It's a movement. It's a fulfillment. It's about spatial. When Jesus comes and talks in chapter 1, verse 14, about the kingdom of God, he says, behold, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, because the kingdom of God is near. It's, it's to be near Jesus was to be near the kingdom. But it's hard to define, and Jesus brings that out in the first parable that he tells, doesn't he? he? He says the first thing we need to remember is that there, the way of the kingdom is not easy to understand. It's hidden in a sense. We can't completely understand how it works. The farmer throws the seed out. Literally, he says he scatters the seed. I, I believe farmers are, I know I'm a farmer, but I don't actually farm, but I, I believe that farmers do a little bit more than just throw the seed out. But there's this, the way Jesus tells this parable, it's like, the, it's a de-emphasis of the work of the farmer. The, the seed is thrown out. And from previous, we know that the seed is the word of God. That's what, how Jesus defines it to his disciples earlier in chapter four. So the seed is scattered. The truth of the gospel goes out, but how it does its work of redemption in the lives of people and, and, and cultures and people groups, we can't understand. You know, in, in China, the, the, the church, the missionaries were cast out. And so for centuries, there was times where there were no Christian missionaries and we didn't really know what was going on in China. And yet we now know anthropologists and, and cultural experts, sociologists have told us that, that in fact the, the church of, in China actually spread tremendously underground in ways that couldn't be observed, even though publicly they would have been um, persecuted and probably killed or at least displaced. I, I met a Chinese Christian just a couple of weeks ago and he was describing to me how his family was in a very affluent area and because of their faith in Christ they were, they were sent out into the the hinterlands, you know, uh, I won't name a state, but I can think of where I would go if I was going to be sent to the hinterlands, and, and I've gotten in trouble before because inevitably somebody will be from that state or that city, so I'm not going to do that, not going to get me this time, but, but, but they were sent out there, and, and yet the faith grew, and the kingdom came, and that's story is repeated over and over again. Sometimes it's, it seems like, you know, you, you just, you don't know. As Christian community, we, we invest in people and sometimes they stay and sometimes they just sort of wander off and sometimes they tell us where they're going and sometimes they just leave in the dark and we don't really know. But, but then at times some, the, the kingdom comes and we see it later on. It's like it springs up and and this is the way Jesus wants to describe it. There's a, there's a hiddenness to the kingdom, and the, the work of the kingdom is something that we can't, we can't observe. And, and for those of you who are scientists, we can't qualify, and we can't, we, can't, we can't write all the details about how it happens because it happens in secret. It happens while we're asleep. It happens. The farmer comes out, and he checks. There's nothing. It seems as if nothing's going back. He comes back, and there's a little bit of a, 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 little bit of a green. And before you know it, there's a, 
there's the, the, the head of the plant, and then all of a sudden there's this grain that, and we can't see it. You've seen it in your own house plants or the, your yard plants, how it seems like, you know, at some point, just particularly with the rain we've been having, all of a sudden it's just this amazing growth, and we, we can't predict it. And Jesus says, that's the way the kingdom of God is. It happens in that way. I'm reminded when I was on sabbatical a few years ago, I, I studied a book on the Sabbath, Again, we're in sync with David's talking about the Psalm 92 today. And one of the important lessons I took away from that book on the Sabbath was that, that God does most of the work. We are to work from our rest. And so we go to bed at night entrusting the world to God, that he can handle it. He's going to do the heavy lifting while we go to sleep or while we take a Sabbath rest, a day off. And then when we come back, on Monday morning or when we wake in the morning, we, in, we trust that the Lord has already been at work and now he's just calling us to help him, to be his assistants, to do the light work because he's the one who does the heavy work. And that's important for us to remember. There's a hiddenness to the kingdom. There's a, there's a mystery to it that we can't understand. We have to be faithful to put the seed out to speak the truth, to live the truth of the gospel. But we have to entrust the Lord to do the heavy lifting of bringing the kingdom in the lives of people around us and in the culture around us. And that's what Jesus wants to remind them of. Now, at the end of that parable, Jesus says that, that there is a part to play. Though the farmer doesn't understand how the plant is produced and how the grain comes forth, when he sees the harvest he gets the sickle out and he brings it in. And I think that's an important moment to say that there are times where we need to speak about the kingdom. We need to be bold to speak the name of Jesus into a situation, even though we're not certain whether or not this person is ready to receive it. There are times when it is important just to bring forth the word and speak the name of Jesus. We come out of this whole COVID thing, we're, we're, we're still not out, but we're on our way through out of it, and here it is, the culture is ready to pounce on us, and they've got all sorts of litmus tests for, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And they're ready to crucify us, not, not literally, but, but you know, metaf you know uh, metaphorically because of, of some stance we take. At that point, rather than becoming defensive, that is your opportunity to speak about the person of Jesus, to speak about his character and about his nature what he came to do, his love for every person, his recognition that, that all of us are fallen short of the glory of God and that Christ has come to bring redemption. I heard a famous evangelist and he was talking and somebody was asking him questions about sexual identity and things like that and he just said simply, he said, you know, I think it's more important that you figure out whose you are before you figure out who you are. And in that moment, Elaine and I were talking about this the other day. In that moment, he shifted the conversation to the person of Christ, to the kingdom of God, and allows God to work in the details. Jesus says the kingdom of God, it's, there's, there's something mysterious about it. There's something hidden about it. We can't understand the process. And in some cases, we're just to be faithful to do the light work and then to be ready to share Jesus when we get a chance to, but to trust the Lord in what he is doing 
Jesus goes on to say a second parable. The second parable is about the, the actual seed itself, the, the smallness of the seed. Now, we know that, in fact, this mustard seed, though it is microscopic, is actually not the smallest seed. But in the first century, they may or may not have known that, but it was very much a, a parable. It was a, it was a proverb that, about the smallness of the seed. You know, you got the brain the size of a mustard seed. You know, it might have been what people, teen, uh, middle school boys used to harass each other. I don't know. But, um, but it was, but it was this, this understanding that, but, but Jesus is using that, that seed to say, don't despise small starts. Don't despise those things that seem insignificant. Because Jesus said, because that little mustard seed, when it's put in the ground, it produces a bush that's so large that, that its branches go out and that the birds of the air can come and rest in it. it, it, it it's, it's, it's exponential growth from where it begins to what you end up with. And, and so is the kingdom of God. You can't see what looks like failure or insignificance, in fact, can be quite impactful. That's the way the kingdom of God comes in our lives. And I think there's, it's, it's, it's so easy to be attracted to things that seem successful. And, you know, you read books on success, and I feel like that maybe that was more popular in the 80s and 90s, but there's still this sense with, with which if we could just kind of figure it out and do it right and get the right method or model, we could be successful and, and you know, and, and I think there's this draw towards that. And I think the church is not immune from that. We tend to want to see success. I mean, we're, we should want to see people coming to the, into the kingdom for certain, but we, we want to see a successful model. And I think the Lord is reminding us that we cannot judge the end from the beginning. And this is not the end yet. We're still waiting for what the Lord's doing. There's such a sense in which right now, maybe in your own mind and heart, you're going... It just seems like the culture is moving further and further and further from the Lord. And, and we fumbled as the church, and we've made so many mistakes. And, Lord, what possibly good can come of it? We just seem like a, a footnote or a marginalized group in our own culture. But the Lord reminds us not to despise the small beginnings. Whether it's in yourself or whether it's in the kingdom at large. The Lord is using the very smallest things, the things you can't see to bring about his ultimate purpose. That's where our faith has to kick in and to believe that the Lord is capable of of taking all that we are entrusting to him and that he is bringing about a great outcome. You know, in our Old Testament lesson from Ezekiel 31, Justin read, and, and we, we cut him off, but he kept reading, and I'm so glad he did, because in that, in that chapter, basically it's a, it's a parable that, that Ezekiel is telling about the country of, Eze- of Assyria, who, who is sort of like the, the cedars of Lebanon. We would think of like the redwoods of California. I think, I think Bill and Emily got to see the redwoods. My daughter, Samantha, got to see them on her honeymoon these giant redwoods that are like 300 feet tall and 
30 feet wide or, you know, just a, a, a mess. And that we had this sense of greatness. The cedars of Lebanon were that same kind of a thing. Kind of tragic to think about how Lebanon looks today because of what, what's happened to um, wars, et cetera. But, but this idea that, that, that Assyria was like this great cedar of Lebanon. And yet, if you read the, to the end, which Justin did, the end of Ezekiel 31, God brings that great cedar to nothing. Have you met any Assyrians lately? You've met their descendants, but you don't know many Assyrians. The greatness, maybe we have an Assyrian among us, but, but, we have, we, but, but the greatness of the Assyrian Empire crumbled. And so Jesus says, be careful about despising the things that seem small and almost insignificant. Now, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't say it becomes a, a large tree. The, the mustard seed doesn't become a large tree. It becomes a large bush. A bush is not as majestic as a tree, right? <laughs> I don't know many people that say, you know what? I just love to go out and enjoy God's bushes. I'm just fascinated by the bushes that God creates. And I go, no, we go and we admire the trees because they're, 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 they're majestic. They, they reach up into the heavens. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed that becomes a great bush. Again, it may not look successful. It may not look majestic. It may not look as if it's, if it's all that you want to be. But, but Jesus says be careful of despising small beginnings. See, the, the, the reality that the... the, the the thing I come to as I grow and as I continue to lead as a, as a pastor and as, as a Christian, I, I realize that, that the work of the kingdom is done in little, little interactions with people that we might, just, we might think they're just a, a, a side note, uh, unimportant, but that's in fact where the, exactly where the kingdom is. It's, it's how we care for the, the, for the person among us who is in most need and the way we surround them that, that speaks of the kingdom and the, the fact that every member is valued and is precious to the Lord and, and that God wants to, to save every soul and wants to minister to every hurt and broken person. It's so easy, right, to go, well, if we could just, you know, kind of take care of this and this and this, we could get on with the really important stuff. And more and more I'm convicted that that stuff is the important stuff. The small ways that we minister in Jesus' name, the way we meet needs of our family and those around us, in fact, are the ordinary things that bring about the kingdom. But like you, I'm, I'm prone to want success. I want to see beauty. I want to see I want to see. Cedars of Lebanon, and yet the Lord says, no, just be faithful to grow the bush, <laughs> the bush of the kingdom, and be a place of hospitality. That's what those branches and the birds coming to nest in it that Jesus talks about, that's what that's about. It's about being that, that place of, 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 uh, of hospitality and a place for, for any to come that want to be there. Um, it's interesting, C.S. Lewis talks about in, in um, uh, oh gosh, which, is, which of his books? I know, I know this book. So the one about the, uh, oh man, I'm having a, a senior moment. It's a good thing the Lord reminded me that he uses his old age. Screw tape letters, there it is. Screw tape letters, Jesus talks about, he, I mean, Jesus, 
Lewis is, is this man who's become a Christian, and he has all these wonderful ideas about all the things he wants to do in the name of, of Christ in the world. And yet, Lewis depicts in this story, this fictional story, that the man despises his mother. He lives with his mother, and he can't stand her, right? And so Lewis is like, and, and so the, you know, if you know the story, it's a fictional story where apparently these two demons are talking and they're interacting about how to, how to, how to thwart this man's desire to be a Christian. And, and basically they, they conclude, it's like, let him have all these dreams about all the things he wants to do in the world as long as he keeps despising his mother. As long as he doesn't learn how to love his mother who lives in his house with him, we've got him. Isn't that true? Yeah. Isn't that often so true? We, we can love the ends of the earth, but we can't love the people in our own household. And we don't recognize that, in fact, it is in that ordinariness that the kingdom is coming. And that our faithfulness in that is, in fact, faithfulness to the kingdom. Well, one last point, and then I'm done the last thing Jesus says after having told these two parables about the mystery of the kingdom and about the, 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 the insignificant, seemingly insignificant beginning to the kingdom, Jesus concludes by telling us a little bit about the nature of parables. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as was able to, they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything what is this? Would Jesus use parables to speak to the crowds, but only to his disciples did he explain the parables to the fullness? What Jesus is saying in this, to, to understand is to, is to come to him. To believe in him and to trust in him is the way to become an insider. And T. Wright says that if the crowds understood the, the revolutionary nature of what Jesus was saying, if he didn't speak in parables, they would have hauled him off and crucified him a lot sooner than they did. Because Jesus is basically saying, I'm fulfilling all the promises of the kingdom from the Old Testament, and I'm also replacing the old promises, and I'm doing it in a way that you would never expect. Who would expect that the salvation of the world would come through God becoming a human being and allowing himself to be killed? And yet that is exactly what the scriptures tell us. That was how the kingdom came. Through a seed put in the ground that rises up to be in fact the very key to the whole kingdom. If we want to become insiders, if we want to understand the kingdom, we must Press in. That's what Jesus means by he who has will be given more, but he who does not have even what he has will be taken from him. It's, it's like you either go all in with Jesus or you're an outsider. And you're not going to understand the kingdom. And that's not to say that Jesus wants there to be outsiders, but that's just the nature of how it is. In order to understand the kingdom of God, we have to come to Jesus who is the key. Say, Jesus, I don't understand it all. I don't understand the hiddenness of the kingdom. I don't understand why you use things that look so ordinary or insignificant to accomplish your will. But I fall before you and I say, 
you are Lord. And that's the key. So this morning, the challenge before us is, first of all, to commit to Jesus. Even where we don't understand the nature of the kingdom, where it's hard to go along, to be identified with a group that seems to be doing such a totally messed up job of living it out in the world, but to commit to Jesus. Secondly, to try to look for opportunities to turn conversation to him when the harvest is presented to you. And you'll know when those times are. It could be on a golf course. It could be in a grocery store. It could be at dinner. You just never know. Third, invite people to study Jesus' words. This is something I've learned from InterVarsity, and I think it's just brilliant. When you have someone who, who is inquisitive about Christianity, invite them to read the words of Jesus with you. And just allow the Spirit to move. That's the sowing of the seed. No Bible study, no, no, this is what it means, but just, let's just read the words of Jesus together and talk about what we think it means. And let the words of Jesus be the gospel, be the seed in the lives. And then lastly, repent of where we turn to other things, things that seem more promising or more successful. Don't chase after the cedars of Lebanon. Trust yourself to see the kingdom of come in small things, in hidden things, as God would direct. Trust that God's kingdom is at work in the world, whether we can see it or not. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we, we, we come here because we desire to know you and to serve you and to learn how to be of your service in the world, Father. We want to bring glory to you. you. You are our joy, Lord, and so we come to you. Many things in your word seem difficult to understand. Your ways are not like our ways, as Isaiah says, Father, and yet you call us to, to trust you that your kingdom is at work. And so we again make that our commitment to you. Continue to guide and direct us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.